we should read our Bibles. As men digging for buried treasure. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of peoples according to the number of the sons of God. In those days, and for some time after, giant Nephilites lived on the earth. For whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. Take no part in the fruitless deeds of darkness, but yet expose them. Though a thousand fall at your side, though ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Life's a garden, man. You gotta dig it. Hello fellow treasure hunters, welcome to the excavation site. I'm Justin, alongside me we got Ben, Stephen, and Chad. We'll be your guides on this excursion. Hope you brought your shovel and your compass, because we got the map. Let's dig. So, uh, you guys uh, got anything on the... So now now we've, he's been born, he's on the earth. The life... Of Jesus, you guys got anything that you think uh, is a spiritual warfare lens or significant or something that maybe that well, I think been told or looked you, over? Well, well, things that we have to look at the how old was he? How many miracles he performed? I think there's some symbolism in those numbers as well. No, without a shadow of a doubt, what are you? 33 years old? He performed 33 miracles. Um, definitely a lot of symbolism right there. Uh, especially when you talk about the occult, yeah. which we'll get there in a later And the episode. mountain that he transcended on uh, Ma- the, with the, the Paris Prime Meridian yes. location, what was that? Well, in Genesis... 33.33? Yes, when the angels descended uh, on the earth from Genesis 6 and born the daughters of men, the exact location of where they landed was uh, 33 by 33 degrees north of the Paris Prime Meridian by 33 by 33 degrees east of the Paris Prime Meridian, which was later changed from the Prime Meridian, and the the name of it was changed to the Devil's Line. So um, <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, man. So And then there's your occult right there, 33. So definitely another episode to be told right there, and I, I can't wait till we get there. But let's talk about the light a little bit, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which one thing I found, not I seriously just found this this weekend, because um, uh, where I got the Logos Bible software, I, I look up you know the the Hebrew you know and the Greek right. and the the root you know meanings, meanings of the names of the words, and all this kind of stuff. Yes. You know, yeah, you have to do that. And what's cool is you know it said you know that Jesus you know was a carpenter, you know. Well, when I I did like a word search on on the word carpenter which in Greek is the word uh, tecton. In Hebrew, it's sheresh. You know, typically this means carpenter, but this same word is used throughout the Bible to describe craftsmen, you know, stonemasons, artificers, you know, engravers, just basically craftsmen in general. So, you know, we can't just uh, put him into to one lane. He only worked with wood. Yeah. No, yeah. You know, a tecton was a was a craftsman, and also what's you know I think kind of funny was Noah. Noah was a master craftsman too, wasn't he? Yeah, my you know, you'd have to be to build a boat that big. I mean, you know, come in on. Mercury, you know, <laughs> you know, in Mercury, in the the letters to Arata, you know, seeked out his wisdom and help to to try and get him to help build the Tower of Babel. Did he not? Mm, that is correct. And God built the universe, so I mean, he is the ultimate craftsman 
<laughs> no, he's definitely the ultimate craftsman. I, I, I think a lot of men on earth try to become that uh, that craftsman. And once again, there's the occult right there, the uh, the architect of the universe. They try to portray that themselves, but um, we know what the Most High is. Don't get no better than that. <laughs> well, one thing uh, with the the life. I mentioned earlier was that that book you know reading Moses seeing Jesus how they were trying to uh, compare Jesus to Moses and show the the Jewish people that uh, he was the Messiah and, and better than Moses in every way and that was something that I always overlooked and until I read that book and got a a new set of eyes to, to actually see it when I read it but when you when you put the two side by side it, it's very uncanny you know, like some examples, you know, uh, a king ordered the death of, of the, the Jewish children. You know, Moses, he was in Egypt, and, they, and uh, the king ordered the death of, of the, the Jewish boys. So he was put in a basket and, and floated down the Nile, right? He, he, he basically went into the heart of Egypt to, to be saved, right, or, or, you know, to be protected. That's funny. That's where Jesus went. Exactly. So, yeah, when you read, you know, Egypt. Herod wanted the firstborn Jewish children murdered, so they fled to? Egypt. Egypt. So they're the same. So another example, you know, yeah, I already mentioned that they fled to Egypt. So the next one, uh, both of them went through the water. You know, Moses led his people through the Red Sea and went through the water. And, you know, water, like we've talked about in other episodes, you know, represents chaos. It's symbolic for chaos. So Moses parted the chaos and went through it to a new creation, something new. You know, Noah went through the, the flood, through the waters, something new, a new start, a new creation. Uh, Jesus met John the Baptist. He was baptized. He went through the water. Well, what was the something new that started there? The Holy Spirit. Yes, the start of God's kingdom coming to earth and his ministry. Okay? So what happened after Moses went through the sea? He wandered the wilderness, right, for 40 years. He was tested and he failed repeatedly, him and his people. Where did Jesus go right after he was baptized? The wilderness. For how long? Forty years. Forty days. Forty years. Man, that's amazing. Now was he He's tempted? a little old, yeah. Was Jesus tempted? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Time and time again. Did he fail? No. No, he overcame. He succeeded where Moses failed. He fulfilled the law. That's right. Overcame. So, you know, I mean when you see these similarities side by side, you know, it's like, whoa. Uh and also Some another one. Uh when the people were, were dying in the wilderness with Moses, what did he do to, to save the people? Y'all remember that story? Which time? He put a serpent <laughs> on, the on, cross. On, on, a, on, a, on a pole and right. raised it up and said, All who look and believe shall be saved. Right. Wouldn't Jesus raised up on a tree and all who look were saved? But saved really. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. Not, so, just, not just carnal state. Yeah. Saved, not yeah. only this carnal state, but in the existential realm. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the final act that they compared the two together was Moses. He freed his people from Egypt. Right. right. He, he was a, a a savior of his people. And this is the one thing. 
a lot of the Jewish people don't think that Jesus qualifies as the Messiah because he didn't free them from the Romans. No. They were looking carnally. You know, Jesus freed them from from the grasp of death and sin. Yes. He gave them the ultimate freedom, but they were too carnal to see it. I mean, that's just... No, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, definitely a book I recommend you guys to check out. I can't remember the author, but if you'll Google it or search it up on Amazon, you'll find it. And it's a very short book. It's like maybe the size of two comic books put together. So it, it don't take you long to get through it. There's a, and you've I just hit the high points. You've never seen me read. <laughs> <laughs> it's not his fault he can't read. <laughs> Be nice to the delivery guy. <laughs> so, so now the death. I know we got plenty on that. The whole spiritual lens of the, the death and resurrection of Christ. Oh yeah, the um, going down to Tartarus, right? Descending, declaring victory over the angels. There's so a lot we could go into. What do you got? Well, for where's us? that at? Where's, I got it written down here in my notes somewhere, but where is it? Oh, I'm gonna pull it out. Go ahead, go ahead. I'll pull it out here in a minute. It's well, gonna come back to me. You know, uh, I started off with you know with prophecy of the coming Messiah and all that, so. With prophecy, it even prophesies the, the death of Christ in the Old Testament. You know, Psalm 16, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, you know, Sheol, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. You know, that was a, a prophecy of the, the, the dying Messiah because, you know, he, he didn't abandon his soul to Sheol. You know, he was resurrected after three days. Uh, Psalms 22 I guess part of what I was trying to say really was that through that whole time, you know, the last three years, he's sitting there and the disciples are with him every day. You know what I mean? They're with him all the yeah, time. They they're, they're with they're him everywhere. Yeah. And he's on top of preaching to countless thousands of other people, um, sometimes all at once, but thousands of other people that they heard everything he was saying. They heard the message he was saying. He was telling them exactly what was going to happen. And even when it did happen, they didn't comprehend it at that time. They still couldn't understand. They were still waiting for them to, waiting for Jesus to free them from the Romans. Really, they were. Right. I mean, yeah. even to that point. So when you're working through uh, those last three years, um, it just, he, he gave them all the keys. And people who were around, actually physically around Jesus, still struggled to figure it out. I mean, I think that's pretty amazing when you really think about it. That, that, that you know, we're given the word here, but they were getting it firsthand. But Psalm 22, now this was a total spiritual warfare side of the cross that I think a lot of us overlook, you know. Uh, when you read uh, Psalms 22, it says here, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. You know, a lot of that, I mean, that sounds like the cross, you know. He was, even on the cross, he said, Father, why, why have you forsaken me? He says, yet you are wholly enthroned to the, the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried, and were rescued 
In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. Now, have you guys ever heard the story of uh, Jesus comparing himself to the worm and, and the, the, the scarlet worm? No. No. Uh, I always thought this was pretty amazing. You know, Jesus compared himself to a worm. You know, why did he do that? You know, he's referring to the scarlet slash, you know, crimson worm from the Middle East. It was a red jelly-filled worm that they would crush and bleed out to make paint and ink for clothing and such. You know, interesting fact about the worm is that uh, that it would climb a tree, you know, across, you know, referred to a tree, and gave birth to its young, which, you know, symbolically, you know, could represent us, God's people. So then this worm would cut itself open on the tree bark above its young. Its crimson insides would run down the tree and cover its young. The mother worm would die to save her young. The young would feed off of the mother, so in her death her young would live. So the children were covered and protected by her blood. Wow. Hmm. So when Jesus compared himself to the worm, he was talking about the worm that's that's indigenous to his region that they knew about. His blood will cover us and protect us and give us life. Wow, never heard that. I have not heard that before. That's awesome. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, but then it goes on to verse 7 and 22. It says, All those who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. You know, when he's on the cross, you know, where's, where's your God? Tell him to come save you. You know, they taunted him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help me. And this is one of the ones I think is really cool. It says, Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like raving and roaring lions. You know, they use that same phrase to talk about Satan, the roaring lion. You know, I am poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breasts. My strength is dried up like a pot shard, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For the dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments amongst them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. You know, every bit of this is the cross. I mean, and it's, it's totally from a supernatural worldview. You know, you know, the bulls, you know, were worshipped throughout the world. You know, their horns shone their, uh, you know, their authority. And the area of Bashan was known for its darkness. It was even regarded as the land of Ephraim, uh, or the Rephaim, I'm sorry, the giants. You know, this is where Mount Hermon is located. They were where the fallen angels fell. It was known as the gateway to the underworld. We, we are seeing the cross from a supernatural view here. I'm sure Satan, the roaring lion, and all of his fallen angels and demons were gathered around the cross, mocking and laughing, thinking that they had won. But you think, I mean, I, I, I guarantee you they were. Well, but you go back and, and if you look throughout it, it, there's, I kind of think from the beginning of time, you know, they're always trying to find a way. Is there a way we can get rid of Jesus? Is there a way that we can, 
kill, you know, that potential for their salvation. You know, if we go all the way through and you think about um, the whole point was to, 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 to corrupt God's creation, right? And then, but when we get through um, Jesus and, and you look at the temptation of Jesus and you thought, oh, he's going to say, oh, throw yourself down, you know, your angels will protect you. It's always these things like trying to test and see, you know, is, is he immortal? Can we kill him? Can we do this stuff? And finally, he gets to the cross. Finally, they do get what they want and they think they've won. That's the whole point. They think they've won when really that was God's plan the whole time. Oh, yeah. And if, if it's just crazy to me that you think someone angelic, you know, Satan, who, you know, can sit there and think that he understands everything that's going on. Someone who is obviously way smarter than us, way smarter than us, um, can sit there and see like, OK, throughout the Old Testament, we needed blood sacrifices and things of like this to be the atonement for everybody's sin. But they had to do it every so often because the blood of an animal is not the blood of Jesus, obviously. Right. But we get to that point then in the in when the ultimate sacrifice is needed to save us. And they still couldn't see that connection. Satan couldn't see that connection. Jesus died. And they're like, got him. Done. Yeah. What was it the parable, the parable of the good tenant? Well, yeah. You know, I, you know, we've talked about that in several shows. You know, yeah, they killed they killed the son of the landowner thinking that would you know run him off. Mm-hmm. But no, that sealed their fate, you know. What was it Paul said? I think it was in Corinthians. He said, if the rulers and the principalities would have known, were they not? They would not have killed. You know, uh, I can't remember the terminology. The, the son of God or the son of the glory. Of, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's. It's just it blows me away when you think how God and it's something that we all have to look at and all have to see the. You said it before, the great architect, the great craftsman. You look at how all that fit in perfectly to get to where we are and to give us, you know, because at that point, the minute Jesus died and he rose up, you know, three days later, the ball was put in our court. Now it's up to us. After that oh, point, yeah. I mean, God has given us the tools. Now it's up to us to to not only dig into the word like we've been doing, but to continue to try to um uh, uh bring others to to you know jesus to god you know that they're around us i mean he's given us all the tools but we don't need to go back and i don't need to sacrifice one of your chickens you know over there to to cleanse my sins all i gotta do is ask god now he's given us the keys and that was the whole point i mean that if you look at the symbolism through the whole old testament uh blood sacrifices all those things it it so much changed at that time all of a sudden, Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, and it changed the game. And, I mean, that's obviously the, the cut and dry part that we all know, we all hear, we all know that we have to believe that, you know, for our salvation. But if you look at all that that led up to that, it's just amazing that the, the way that God put that into place and, and how perfect it was. Well, hindsight, you know, hindsight's always twenty. It is, it you is. Know? And if you look at the Old Testament, too, I mean, God advertised this cryptically. You know, we, when we think, you know, Satan, how did he not know? You know, I mean, well, we have the aftermath. We can look back and, and piece things together. You know, uh, Isaiah 53, 3 through 6, you know, by his stripes we are healed. You know, Isaiah 53, 9, you know, it said that he was between two thieves. You know, Mark 15, 43 through uh, 46, he was buried in a rich man's tomb. And uh, even Job a lot of people miss it, was talking about uh, Christ. 
you know, uh, Job chapter 19, verse 25 and 26, he says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. That's awesome. He knew after I'm dead and gone, yeah, my Redeemer, he's going to walk on earth, and I'm going to, you know, be resurrected and be face-to-face with God. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like, you know, you go back to the Old Testament again, you need to ask permission for the keys to the Mopar. Now he's just giving you the keys to the Mopar, you know what I mean? Yeah. You just have them now. They're there. You can take it for a spin whenever you want. That's the crazy part. When you really think about it, that's crazy. And have you read, too, like, you know, where Abraham had to sacrifice Isaac? Did you ever look mm. at that and be like, that's a foreshadowing of the cross and Jesus? I just never thought of it that way. Oh, go into it. Because, you know what I mean, it was his firstborn son, his only begotten son, Abraham's, and he was asked to sacrifice him. You know, kind of like a test, you know, because God, you know, all knowing's like, you know, I'm going to have to give up my only begotten son for you, for my love for you. Let's see if, if you'd be willing to do the same. And Abraham did, and he was going to. Uh, he and was, what's crazy yep. is Jesus, and Ben's mentioned it earlier, Jesus is all, he shows up in your Old Testament all the time, and you don't he realize does. it. Who is he, Ben? The lamb that was caught. and But the angel of the Lord. Yeah. And the angel of Yahweh is Christ. Yeah. And what in that story, when you read about Abraham, what does it say? He's about to stab him, but then the angel of the Lord appeared and stayed his hand. Jesus showed up and said, Abraham, you don't have to do that. I got you covered. Right. That's good stuff <laughs> right there. No, that's awesome. And that could be a whole episode, too. Just oh, totally breaking down the, the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh, and, and breaking that down. <laughs> in, in the fiery furnace. There he they is look again. in, and there's the four. angel of the Lord, yep. Jesus Christ, in there with yep. He was covering them even then. He was kind of, yeah, protecting them of the flames. Yeah. It says they looked in, and he seen four. But I thought we only... Did you throw another one in? Yeah. We only supposed... No, we only threw the three. So hot that it killed the people that threw them in. Yeah. Yeah. The and ones they weren't that, even in the flames. Yeah. They weren't even in the flames. I love that song. Tell me about it. And that made him a believer. Yeah. yeah. There's another one in the fire. You know that song? Yeah. That yeah, song. that's a good yeah. song. Yeah. But, you know, yep. like and you mentioned it too, you know, before we had to sacrifice lambs and stuff, you know, you know, you know, spotless and, you know, clean animals. And, and it was just temporary. They were Band-Aids, mm-hmm. you know. You know, Peter describes how, you know, we are saved by the precious blood of Christ as the lamb without blemish and spot. You know, John the Baptist understood this. Jesus was the fulfillment of the Levitical system of the blood sacrifice of Leviticus 8 and 9. You know, Jesus was the spotless lamb whose blood could take away sins Hebrews 10, verse 4 through 5, you know, it's quoting Psalms 40 uh, and verse 6. It says, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. (laughs) You know, they were advertising it even back then, whether they, you know, subconsciously were and didn't know the full plan. Or maybe if God secretly told them and they kept their their lips sealed and just threw us little hints. But whether they knew it or not, they knew. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Even if it was on a, a subconscious nuts. level. 
you know but the, like you mentioned this too Stephen you know it was the plan from the beginning mm-hmm. you know the, the sacrifice of Jesus was not an afterthought of God it was the plan from the beginning Galatians 3:24. you know the King James Version says so the law became our guardian you know the ESV says tutor to lead us to Christ Revelation 13 8 calls Jesus the lamb that was slain from the foundations of the world it said that he was there in the beginning you know so I mean it was it was the plan the whole time you know first Samuel 15:22, obedience is better than sacrifice Matthew 9:13, I desire mercy Jesus said not sacrifice there was no mercy with the law the law said eye for an eye Jesus told you to turn the other cheek the law called for adulterers to be stoned Jesus said those without sin cast the first stone you know Matthew 9:17. disciples of John the Baptist asked Jesus why do we and the Pharisees fast but you and your disciples do not he, he later replied neither is new wine talking about the new covenant put into old wineskins the law if it is the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skin destroyed but new wine is put into fresh skins so both are preserved you know that's why you have the righteous and the elect you got God's chosen people Israel and us the Gentiles mm-hmm. you know something new was coming at the cross uh, Galatians 3 13 you know it said Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith And at the cross, and I, I've talked about this like in a little video I've done before, uh, you know, at the cross it said that, you know, above their head was a, a name plate. Mm-hmm. It had the name and, and the charge that was brought against them, you know. And it says, you know, uh, in John uh, chapter 19, verse 19 through 22, that his inscription read, Yeshua or is it Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, King of the Jews, mm-hmm. right? You know, in Hebrew, and forgive me if I mispronounce this stuff, you know, but it said, Yeshua Ha Nazar Vemelech Ha Yadim. Well, you know, me and Chad and us has talked about it, you know, there's numbers, you know, associated with the Hebrew alphabet. And each the, letter contains a numerical value. Yeah. And then also they, their symbolism and they mean things. You know, when you read your old Bibles, you know, they got things, these things called capstones. Or not capstones, or, the, or drop caps, I'm sorry, drop caps. And basically, you know, like, you know, in Genesis, the very, you know, or in every book of those old ones, the very first letter of the book was in a big box and it was all fancy and twisty with art drawn all in it and stuff like that. That was a drop cap. Well, with the Hebrew Bible, you know, they, they were copying the Hebrew Bible. And basically, that first letter symbolized basically what the, the book was going to be about. You know, in Genesis, the, the first Hebrew letter is, is the bet. And a bet is a symbol for home. So, you know, basically they're telling you it's kind of like a header of a newspaper. You know, 
this book is about home, the creation of home and, and where you come from, you know, and stuff like that. So, and the Jewish people knew that it was important. So uh, I want to break that, that down because there's a lot of hidden stuff in there. Like, you know, we talked about earlier, if you're not digging, you're going to miss it. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, okay. Yeah. John 19, 19 through 22. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And I've looked over that, and I was like, ah, you know, they just didn't want it to say King of the Jews, you know. That's why they were so upset. But then when you understand the, the symbolism in the Hebrew alphabet and, and all that kind of stuff, it brings on, you know, uh, a whole new meaning. You know, if you take the first letter, you know, I, I try my best to read it in, in, you know, in Hebrew and stuff. But the first letters of each of those words, Yeshua, is a Y, you know, Ha Nazarir, H, Vimelech, a V, and then Ha Yadim, H. So if you take those first letters and put them together, Y H V H. So, you know, this was the unspeakable name of God given to his people at Exodus. You know, the high priest would enter the holiest of holies. Take the blood of the sacrifice and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and speak the name of God for forgiveness of the people's sins. You know, what's crazy is they were crucifying him for saying, you know, that I am God. And his nameplate proclaimed him to be just that. And it was unwittingly. That was great. <laughs> and And what's even more is like, you know, what separated the holiest of holies was a veil. On this veil was depicted a guardian cherub. You remember Ezekiel 28? There was a guardian cherub that guarded the way. And then there was a flaming sword put in, right? Right. Which, you know, the cross, Jesus Christ. So it says, on earth as it is in heaven, it represented God's holy mountain Eden, the holiest of holies, where God presided. You know, you know what if I told you God planned the cross from the beginning? that he was even uh, signaling to his people from the time of Exodus. And remember, Galatians 3.24, the law was only a tutor until Christ. You know, Hebrew pictographs, or they call it uh, Paleo-Hebrew, YHVH actually expresses the name for Yeshua. Y in the Hebrew word is a yod, and the Hebrew picture word for hand H or hey means to reveal or behold. The word vav is the Hebrew picture word for a nail, followed by another H again, so another behold. So Hebrew is written right to left. Hand behold nail, behold. So if you read like we read right to left, behold the nail, behold the hand. 
So the priests would be in the holiest of holies on the Day of Atonement and Passover, sprinkling the blood of the sacrifice for forgiveness of sins, while saying, Behold the nail, behold the hand. <laughs> That's nuts. Yeah. That's nuts. You know, people miss sometimes. You know, Jesus died on the 14th of Nisan. That's Passover. Matthew 27:51 says that the veil of the temple was torn top to bottom. The death of Jesus brought access to God for everyone. The law slash Levitical system was dead and a new covenant was made. Even the Talmud records that the blood of the blood-stained scarf from the Day of Atonement stopped turning white after the cross. God no longer accepted the sin offering. It was no longer required. You know, the next day was the 15th of Nisan. That begins the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and that's a week-long feast. Egypt buried their firstborn sons on this day. Christ was also buried on this day. The next holiday, it, it celebrates the, the Feast of First Fruits. They would present their first fruits at the temple, which was usually their barley harvest. You know, it says, So while people were in the temple presenting their first fruits, Jesus was presenting himself as the first fruits of the resurrection to the fallen realm. He's, and he's basically telling me, oh, but I'm getting out of here. You're stuck. I'm getting out. You know, he rose during this feast. That's why Scripture says he was, he's the first fruits of the resurrection. You know, 1 Corinthians 15:22 calls Christ the first fruits of the resurrections. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 31 says he was, uh, he was not abandoned to Hades. And here's, uh, I think this is that verse, Chad, we was talking about earlier. I couldn't find it anywhere, but here it was. First uh, Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subject to him. You know, Paul's referring to the book of Enoch and the fallen angels from the days of Noah. He even says Christ went to prison where the fallen watchers were to proclaim victory before his resurrection. <laughs> I love it. That's good stuff. But after the resurrection, you know, it says that he was alive 40 days. You know, and he was in the tomb for three. So that puts us at 43 days. You know, you add a week to that. That gives you 50 days. 50 days from Passover. If you read Leviticus 23, they had the Feast of Shavuot, which is also known as Pentecost. The apostles were celebrating Shavuot in the temple when the Spirit came. So why is that so important? Shavuot slash Pentecost was the celebration of the giving of the law to Moses at Sinai. Why did God choose to do this on this day? This was God signaling once again of a new covenant. God told Moses on this day, keep my commandments, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. He tabernacled with them in a temple made by hands. This time he tabernacles with us in a temple not made by human hands. 
do ye not know that you are your body is a temple and the spirit of God dwells within you? Mm-hmm. Amen to that. And all that stuff, man, is stuff that if you're not a Hebrew and don't follow the holy feasts and holidays, you, you look right understand. over it. No, yeah. no, absolutely. And a, a good plug for that is uh, God's Day Timer. That's where I pulled a lot of that stuff from. It was God's Day Timer by Mark Blitz. It goes into the feasts and holy days and their significance and all how all that stuff ties in with the Bible and stuff like that is really cool. It's good stuff. That's crazy. I swear every time we do one of these things, I learn more than I bring to the table by far. <laughs> Dr. Justin over here yeah. dropping knowledge bombs, I tell you. <laughs> we thank you for listening to the Dig Bible Podcast. Questions, comments, or future episode ideas, we'd love to hear from you at the dig 423 at gmail.com. If you enjoy our content, don't forget to share, subscribe, and check out our Facebook group at The Dig Podcast. Remember, you can't lean on a shovel and pray for a hole. You gotta dig.